Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be No Encore. Welcome to episode 319. It's the No Encore Music Podcast and this episode sees us uh, centering, focusing, if you will, on our top five, of course. Our top five songs about fools this week because, of course, this episode drops on April Fool's Day and I couldn't think of a greater fool a, a more beloved court jester to welcome back to proceedings. And in fact, I'm so ecstatic. We're in person. It's me. It's me. It's Z Hederman. Zara Hederman. She's back. Hello. Hi. I, that intro, when you started off with the top five topic, I just knew, I knew I was going to be a punchline. Um, You're never a punchline. Yeah, never the, never, always the punchline, never the joke. Always the puncher. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you. We haven't done a show together since October. Uh, which is startling. Crazy. Startling. Yeah, very um, surprising. Mm. But you, of course, it's a big week for you though. No Encore listeners will, of course, be aware of that a few days ago. uh, Adam Shanahan, Sonic Arcade Adam, who's behind me right now, both in spirit and in physicality. um, (laughs) You can hear him laughing. Uh, He did his latest episode of Before the Encore, which is an industry deep dive conversation once a month. And Zara Hedeman is the subject, the interviewee. The subject. (laughs) The specimen. Um, Hour and a half long episode. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I uh, hope people did as well. Go check it out if you haven't, but we'll press on because there's more Zara audio happening. Craig's on holidays this week. He will return. So on this episode, uh, top five songs about fools, because April Fool's Day, we thought maybe doing a film thing, post-Oscars, but luckily there's always the news section to talk about the Oscars. We'll have a chance to do so. Um, we will be reviewing an album on this episode, Denzel Curry. His new record is out. We're going to talk about that. And that's pretty much it for the preamble, guys. We're going to speed it up this time. Uh, apart from, of course, if you want to support the show, it's patreon.com slash noencore. 
You get episode previews, there's playlists on there. We do a monthly episode where we do a recommend. Myself, Adam and Craig go through stuff and recommend songs or albums or whatever pop culture things take our fancy. And we will, of course, be doing a new episode very, very soon. Once I track down Craig, I don't know where he went this week. He wouldn't tell me. He was very secretive about it. He wouldn't tell us anything. It was just like you he... You asked him something like, what are you going to do with your week off? And he goes, thanks very much. I think, he said, like, what? I think he said, that's true, yeah. which was even more cryptic. But yeah. that's Craig for you. Yeah. But listen, um, we will jump to the usual way that this starts, and it's this. Hey, you heard about the good news? So, yeah, listen, I mean, only one place we can start this week, unfortunately, with the sad passing of Taylor Hawkins, Foo Fighters drummer, passed away suddenly at the age of 50. The news broke on Saturday morning. I woke up to a few text messages on the subject. I'm sure lots of other people did as well. Uh, We're going to talk about Taylor Hawkins and his impact and kind of give you the latest on that story in a second. But during the week, I found myself going back through all interviews he'd done to try and get a sense of his character. Uh, So the following is an anecdote uh, that he tells. He's in conversation here on Radio X. I think it's with Matt Morgan, who's good friends with Noel Gallagher, which is kind of good context for what you're about to hear. So this is Taylor Hawkins in conversation on Radio X in 2019 discussing Oasis. And I think he's got divided loyalties. So let's just take a listen to that. Festival, And I had a picture of the Gallagher brothers on my kick drum head. Yeah. Because I just put pictures of people on my yeah i'll put dave's face or i'll put roger taylor's face or i'll put like you know one of my kids faces i just i like to have fun with my kick drum head it's like an advertising spot and um i had the oasis brother i had the gallagher brothers up on my kick drum head and i was like we're playing the reading festival makes sense you know and then i went up front to sing a song and dave went back to the drums and i looked back at my kick drum head and i said ah isn't it great to have the gallagher brothers back together again on uh and then I said, um, let's all sign a petition to get Oasis to do a show again. Out of love of their music. Yeah. Nothing else. So Noel Gallagher, who was opening up for the Smashing Pumpkins in America at that time, goes, first night he goes, I say we start a, pot- a petition to get the Foo Fighters to break up. Okay, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny, actually. Whatever. And then the next night he goes, if the drummer for Nirvana... Now, now, Noel, if you're hearing this, he didn't say it. I said it. Because if the drummer for Nirvana... He didn't even say Dave, you know, to, as to make him sound like, you know, lower him. Wants Oasis to get back together. He can come up on this stage right now and suck my you-know-what. <laughs> but I'm hoping now that he will lighten up a little bit and come to his senses... Yeah. And get the good singer back for his band. Nice. I enjoyed that. Yeah, pretty good. I thought it was a fair kind of rejoinder. And it gives you a little bit of kind of the guy's overall character. I mean, Taylor Hawkins was known for being quite charismatic, playful, I suppose. And I mean, a lot of people have had the chance to reflect on what he meant to music. Um, I think it was kind of immediately clear, like his legacy in terms of he managed to establish himself as his own character in a very difficult situation. Like he, how do you possibly be the drummer for Dave Grohl post Nirvana? That's not an easy gig. He was with Alanis Morissette at the time and I believe Dave Grohl reached out to him to recommend a drummer um, beyond the Foo's first album. And he basically was like, put me in coach. I want to do this. This seems like the best opportunity possible. Let's go. Uh, he he talked even on the most recent album kind of cycle about how 
Dave Grohl is a perfectionist and it can be, you know, it's not the easiest job in the world and that can be tricky, but at the same time, he's not a jerk. We get on very well. And I think their relationship came across on stage quite well. It's a devastating blow. The band, of course, I mean, essentially for anyone who somehow doesn't know the details, uh, the Foo Fighters were on tour in South America. They were in Colombia and I believe they were waiting in their hotel reception for Taylor to come down. He didn't. Uh, he passed away. It's unclear what the cause of death is. Don't want to speculate on that at the moment. There's been some kind of preliminary stuff released by health health authorities over there. But, you know, there's no point in getting into the into the weeds on this. Um, Foo Fighters have, of course, cancelled the remainder of their tour and have released statements saying that they're obviously brokenhearted and now is the time to heal. Uh, Zara Hedeman, um, where were you on Saturday morning when you found out? Um, I had literally just woken up um, and I turned to my phone just to have a look, scroll through Twitter and I saw... A lot of people sharing oh, the news um, story of it breaking and expressing how sad they were. And I really couldn't believe it. Um, I found it one of the kind of more shocking kind of deaths in music of the last couple of years. Um, not that I was like a massive Foo Fighters fan, um, but I do. Obviously, I have loved like songs like My Hero. And again, like listening to that song and um, the album The Colour and the Shape it really kind of reminds you of like what a great band they were at a particular time. And of course, they still have loyal fans now. Um, and I always just like growing up, because Foo Fighters are such an omnipresent band. Like, I don't think there was ever an opportunity growing up in that kind of era when they were really coming up where you could turn on the television or turn on the radio and avoid them. They were just everywhere. And they would like creep into like your consciousness and you would like throw your arms up in the air and really enjoy the songs and get into their like momentum and then when you see things like you know they're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the first opportunity where they're um, nominated for it um, only last year I believe last year yeah Paul McCartney I think did the introduction yeah he did um but it was really shocking because like like even though I didn't know Taylor Hawkins' personality in like interviews or anything like that, he always just seemed like a very nice, very charismatic person. He was always very smiley and just like looked so happy to be there. And I guess as well, like coming to a band where Dave Grohl is going to be the front man, as you were saying, it's no small feat for him to fill that position. And I think he did it so well because for me, like a lot of the time, the drums in Foo Fighter songs really are what propel propel them and make them as special as they are. And of course, you know, in a live setting, they really are the juggernaut. And I loved that anecdote of him just putting random um, pictures on his kick drum. That's kind of goes to show like the fun he had with it, the appreciation he probably had for his career and just like not taking it so seriously, but obviously still being a very serious um, and commendable and respected musician. And even just we see that from like tributes of like Miley Cyrus. Um, she dedicated her Lollapalooza set to him recently after his passing. Um, you had like Questlove, Steve Albini, Liam Gallagher as well. <coughs> he um, dedicated, I think, Live Forever at a recent show. Yeah, so Chris Martin did something as well. It's yeah, been across the board. It's very sad. Um, what I would say, like, at this point is that, like, you know, I think, you know, 
the last time we reviewed Foo Fighters album on the show, we, we weren't kind to it. And I don't mean to be disingenuous. I mean, essentially, I think it's one of those, it's reflective in the sense that like, you expect rock stars to live forever. You expect mm. them to be immortal. They are larger than life figures. They are so far away from you in one sense. And up close and personal in another if you're a Foo Fighters fan. So I, I really, despite my misgivings with like Foo Fighters material over the over the years in terms of quality, that that's fucking irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Uh, tremendous respect for Taylor Hawkins. Admire him hugely as a musician and as a personality. And uh, someone, of course, I know uh, who is a long time fan uh, and I know was rocked by this news along with the rest of the world, Foo Fighters long-term fans. Uh, we're, in, we're, we're in Sonic Architect Adam's studio, so it would be remiss of me not to ask you how you're feeling on this. Yeah, it was, I was very, I, like, I still don't really know um, how I feel about it, to be quite honest, because, uh, like, that's not, like, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic or anything, but I, I would find, like, with celebrity deaths, right, I think it's easy to get a little bit, um, it's easy to be a bit cynical about it sometimes um, and the sense of like, this is another person who has lived and died, It you know, it's something normal that happens. I, I found it hard to connect with, you know, a lot of people who would maybe have, you know, been quite affected by the death of another celebrity, whereas this time I actually understand and you know, I, I find that fine, the piece that was missing has finally like connected with me um, Taylor Hawkins is the reason I started playing the drums at 16 you know Foo Fighters were such a formative band for me and my friends I spoke about it um, this week on my Instagram I do a, a weekly thing where I you know listen to an album and I'll just like write a few words about it just to kind of it's more of a listening exercise and to kind of keep me accountable for like listening to new music but this time I had to listen to one of my favourite albums by the Foo Fighters which is Wasting Light um, I remember so much about it. I remember seeing the tour. I remember all of the times like listening to that record and feeling like it was the first time I'd heard something really special in a long time. Um, and connecting with that with all of my friends and, you know, Taylor Hawkins was such a huge part of the glue that held all of that together for me. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Dave Grohl being Dave Grohl, he's such a larger than life personality, but also so down to earth at the same time. I feel like Taylor Hawkins was his, his equal. You know, I felt like they were, you know, very much on that same wavelength. And um, the Back and Forth documentary actually is a great watch for anyone who's interested in um, interested in learning a bit more about Ta Taylor and the band themselves. They have a very interesting story, um, not least obviously about the Nirvana background, but it's such an interesting story and no punches are pulled really and there's like no um there's there's no kind of um curtain still left over any of the kind of you know more terse parts of the relationship that they had and it's no secret that like any band goes through this that and the other but uh, you don't get to the top and no. stay at the top if you don't have no you know, everyone's got everyone's got something you know yeah. um but with with Taylor he when he came in like the original drummer for Foo Fighters was William Goldsmith after um, Sunny Day Real Estate broke up Nate Mendel came in he's still playing bass after the second record it's again it's not a secret that Dave Grohl re-recorded all of William's parts because he didn't feel like they were up to scratch on the colour and the shape so they after that William left they brought in Taylor Hawkins and it was like an immediate romance between him and Dave so my immediate thought wasn't 
you know, how I felt about it, my immediate thought was Dave Grohl is going to be really suffering this because not only has it happened to him once with Kurt Cobain, mm. it's happened to him now with Taylor Hawkins. Pat Smear as well, of course. Yeah. In a similar position. And Pat Smear, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, in, in, not easy in any stretch, but no. also to have to go through another similar situation. I mean, you feel for everybody involved. Mm. And uh, thanks, man. It's it's nice to hear like a fan's perspective on it. Yeah. yeah. And like, again, I haven't been a fan of the last couple of records, but. That's allowed. It, I, I think his, like, he stands on his own merits as one of the greatest modern drummers. Definitely. Um, yeah. And like, there's some great clips, you can find them on YouTube, you can find them anywhere, of him doing a drum solo when they played Wembley and I believe 2008. It's it's a spectacle. It's one of the best things I've ever witnessed. It's one of the reasons I started playing the drums. It's one of the reasons I'm sitting here on the microphone right now. Um, and I can't, I can't, like I couldn't not pay tribute to him by at least saying a couple of words, even whether it be on Instagram or here. He, it's it's such a loss. It really is, and it's heartbreaking for the fans. It's heartbreaking for the band members. I can't see them continuing, but again, that's not really a concern right now. My concern is for the well-being of the band and his family. Mm. He's got young kids. It's just, it's incredibly tragic. Fifty years of age as well. Like it's yeah. super young. Yeah, like it yeah. doesn't it doesn't compute properly. I mean, I guess lastly, what I would say is, I mean, Adam made a point there at the start about how like celebrity deaths are always strange, and they are. Um, I think ultimately, you know, you send your well wishes to literally everybody involved, but also more. I guess closer in terms of like people who will actually hear these words. Any fan of this show listening who happens to be a Foo Fighters fan or was affected in any way, I mean, like it's 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 a natural reaction, and you know, people should be allowed embrace that those feelings. I mean, grief is a strange thing, um, as I'm continually learning myself this year. But I mean, like I think the power of social relations as we have with celebrities, like they do give you something. I I was talking on Nova Radio Nova there at the weekend, and I was saying that like. They felt relatable. These guys feel like fans themselves. Mm. If Taylor Hawkins walked into a bar after a show, you, it wouldn't be a, like out of, of the question for him to buy you a beer or mm. vice versa. And I saw that Michal Quinn actually put up a, yeah, put up yeah. an Instagram post about how he'd met him and how he was very personable and just a nice guy all around. And yeah, like you can he had tell, a good rep. Yeah, you can tell that, you know, Foo Fighters are those kind of people. They're, the, they're personable people. Mm. Um, and like... That comes out in their shows, comes out in their music a lot of the time. Um, maybe, like I said, not so recently, but um, again, that's irrelevant right now. And you can also see it in the documentary, Back and Forth is the name of the documentary. It was on Netflix for a time. I'm not sure if it still is, but uh, I'd highly recommend anyone who's interested to check that out. And rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. It's it's so tragic and, uh, you know, it's... I don't know, it's it, it's something that's definitely rocked the world of music. And definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah, at least at the best, rest in peace and play his music loud. And we'll pivot now to much different climbs. So look, they're, they're, how do you pivot from a story like that? I mean, too often we find ourselves in a situation where you want to be respectful, you want to move to something else in terms of just the running order of a show. Um, but this is particularly uh, circus-like, Zara. This is, we have to talk about it, we have to talk about the Oscars. We do. Uh, they occurred days ago and uh, everyone knows what we're about to talk about here and we can because Will Smith is in fact a musician so it is on point it is on brand very true for anyone who somehow missed the Oscars at the weekend and traditionally you'd be under like increasingly you'd be like totally forgiven for doing so because 
it's it's become very boring over the years, but it wasn't boring on Sunday night slash Monday morning. Again, I woke up to a flurry of text messages from different people with no context. People were just like, can you believe it? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what this is about. the same. I was very bamboozled. And I was like, and, and, and I literally was like, well, what's happened now? You know, like what horrible thing has happened now? And it turns out, everybody, um, Chris Rock had the microphone at the Oscars and this happened... Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> it's, that, was a, that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Did, Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. <laughs> And I, I'll, I'll say this, and I'll be honest with you. It led to one of the greatest days on Twitter I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, Monday on Twitter was wall-to-wall, take a bow, everyone who... The memes, the nuclear hot takes from people who were trying to equate this to Ukraine or something much more serious. Will Smith got on stage and slapped Chris Rock across the face in his wife's honour, calmly strode back to his seat and later won the Best Actor Award. For, was it like 10 minutes later? I think it was a little back? bit. I, I, I don't know the chronology. I feel like it was, it could have been anywhere from 10 minutes to two hours. Oh, but like, gosh. even today there's reports that like he was asked to leave. He's saying that's not the case, etc. The point is, he physically assaulted a man on live mm. television on one of the biggest telecasts that will ever exist. Mm. Uh, we'll get into the weeds on this in just a moment. Okay. Um, but first, to keep it tied into the world of music... Uh, again, like I said, Twitter was just, uh, it was unbelievable. It was it was incredible. One thing that stood out amidst the, just the rapid fire takes was this man on Good Morning Britain, uh, Liam Payne of One Direction fame was interviewed. And I saw one tweet that I shared this video and I think it expressed the right sentiment when the person on Twitter said, the great thing about this clip is that absolutely no cocaine was involved whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Will, Will Smith actually used to live behind my house. I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing his son and his daughter very well, and we did Men in Black 3 with him. Um, I believe whatever he felt that he did, he had the right to do. I also felt there were three losers in one fight. He didn't know, being Chris Rock. He didn't want to do what he had to do, being Will Smith. And she did nothing, being Jada. And it's a very sad thing, but there was a powerful moment for me to sit and watch one of the world's best emoters in the ever we've seen speak from the heart. And I would rather take the beauty out of the situation than take the pain. Um, but I had to leave my chair, I'll be honest with you. It, it, it cut me really deep. And I don't, I don't get deep about these things, but I'm a big, I'm a big movie fan, I'll be honest with you. And um, out of a horrible moment, there was a little bit of beauty in what came on. And I'm sure everyone's very apologetic about what happened. It shouldn't have happened. Um, but ask yourself, what would you do in the same situation? I don't know how we'd all react. We're all very human, right? Uh, Liam Payne... I don't think I would have 
abuse or assault someone no. in situation um, Liam Payne there uh, clearly uh, in training for a role as Richard Burton if his act his accent is anything to go by um, a man who is a, a big movie fan and he's he's not afraid to tell you that he would then go on to, to discuss how he also met Chris Rock when when he he mentions twice that One Direction sold out Madison Square Garden. Um, it was a bizarre clip. It was a bizarre day. Yeah. We're, we're a few days removed now, Zara. Yes. Where are you at on all of this? Um, It's actually just still so shocking, isn't it? It really is. Um, like, I was... Like, even now, I'm, I'm kind of still a bit, like, flummoxed that we are here talking about Will Smith rising to the stage and slapping Chris Rock. Um, on Monday, actually... Um, I was with a few friends and like obviously we were talking about it because I think it was all anyone was talking about on Monday. And there was like different perspectives on it. Um, I had no idea that uh, Jada Pinkett Smith had um, was diagnosed with alopecia. I had absolutely no idea about that when I saw images of her on the red carpet. Obviously she had... Um, she was bald and I thought she looked absolutely beautiful. Um and so I thought that was just kind of the style she was going for that night. I had no idea that she had alopecia. Um, perhaps this was also something that Chris Rock wasn't aware of. I'm not sure. I don't know how publicly um, she has spoken about it. Um, obviously, you know, Chris Rock, if he did know about it, it's not the most tasteful or respectful joke to make. Um I can understand Will Smith being annoyed. I can understand him wanting to stand up for his wife. Backstage, mate. Yeah. Quiet word. A quiet word, I think. Or even, I think, as well, what would have even been more powerful is him just kind of maybe serving Chris Rock a stern look from his seat as the joke um, fell. Again, it's a very difficult thing at the time to make a rational decision, um, especially when you're on the world stage of the Oscars. Um, but it's it's weird listening back to that clip, um, just like hearing the audience reactions, knowing now what we know and how they continue to they think they it. They think it's a bit. And like, yeah. it, but, the, but I listened to that clip, I watched that clip probably about like 55 times on Monday yeah. through different forums or another because I, I just kept going back to it. And like, there's, like there was so much happening, there was so much discourse on it immediately that even like I I I found myself even like Arizona being like, wait, that actually happened, and yeah. it's like it's terrifying when you go back because Chris Rock laughs like, oh, here he comes, yeah. and I'm like, oh mate, you're about to get battered, like that is like it, it turns into a weird horror movie situation for a yeah. second there. There's history between the two. Chris Rock has previously slagged off Jada Pinkett Smith at the Oscars in 2016. Okay. I, I saw a thread this week saying that Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith are Scientologists or at least or at least they definitely were mm. and this guy had this incredible breakdown about like Scientology and how like inaction over disrespect is not, not, not a thing and if Will Smith didn't do what he did uh, a more higher up member of the Church of Scientology could, could admonish him and I was like do they have like Tom Cruise on standby behind some kind of door? Now, that's all speculation who knows mm. Scientology not for me mate mm. but like essentially um, I would like to think that this was a long overdue receipt for Chris Rock slagging off Jude Law at the Oscars back in the 2000s because you might recall he did that and then when Sean Penn won his award that night Sean Penn got on the mic and went and to uh, let Chris Rock know uh, Jude Law is actually one of our finest film actors I think at the time I was like ah oh, fuck off but now I'm like, you know what? Jude Law has been consistently great for his entire career. Oh, <laughs> so good for him. Good actor. Um, as for this, 
surreal, crazy, bizarre. Uh, also bizarre was like the commentary around it from like publications. Now I work for Joe.ie and I kind of, I asked my editor, I was like, should we put up a question on Facebook about this? You know, was it the right thing to do? And my editor was like, absolutely not. Yeah, he was no. like, you're going to be endorsing violence. And I was like, well, it'll yeah. get engagement. Now, the Irish Examiner, right? The Irish Examiner put up a question on their page saying, do you think Will, Will, what Will Smith did was the noble thing to do? Claire Byrne Live... RTE program, national broadcaster, did a fucking poll with graphics. And it was, do you think what Will Smith did was the right thing to do? And it was like 62% of the country, I think, said yes. 17% said, I don't know. <laughs> what the Whatever. fuck? You need more time on this one. Yeah, I found it even then, like, watching the clip of Will Smith's um, acceptance speech afterwards, very difficult to watch because he was speaking about like how he was he reacted out of love and he was emotional about it it's and abusive it, language if ever you, you've heard it you know yeah it just kind of sat very unwell with me like using that kind of um, umbrella or cloak of love as a defence for assault um, because obviously you know domestic like domestic abuse abuse in any kind of situation it, that kind of language is just very manipulative. And Completely. It's, it's yeah. very scary then to see someone on such a stage of power and on such a night where everyone is going to watch this and seeing those takes on Twitter on either side. It was just very difficult to like... Um, to see those kind of positions where people were in agreement with him, I personally wouldn't wouldn't um, condone, condone or yes, endorse condone, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that kind of behaviour. But should we get into the um, the Liam Payne clip? Yes, one of my favourite parts. Well, I have a few favourite parts of it. One in particular is just the um, interviewers. Um, composure like listening to him and just like he was very him. professional very yeah. good like if that was me I don't know I don't know what I'd be doing but I particularly one thing that really stood out to me in his breakdown of it on my numerous watches of it again today was when he said there were three losers in the fight one he didn't know being Chris Rock two he didn't want to do what he had to do being Will Smith and three she did nothing being Jada she did nothing wrong yeah yeah does does he finish with nothing wrong I think Sorry, he means his Welsh accent I, I think he means like she did, she did nothing wrong like I mean okay. as in like she was a victim okay that's what I took from that I think okay. he was being sincere, but he was just being ridiculous. Yeah. And it was like, Liam Payne now to mediate on this at six in the morning. Like. Clearly sloshed. Sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah, big movie fan. Big uh, movie fan, I think, is the best takeaway from that. In closing, what I will say, my, my friend Carl Kinsler, ex-Joe, he put up a tweet. We all quoted that tweet. We all partied. And he basically said, like, um, you know, he slagged them off, essentially. And he was like, I can't believe Liam Payne is still a fucking thing or whatever. Cut to all the Liam Payne stands coming after Carl for the entire day. I saw that. Continually yeah. quoting him and saying stuff like, who the fuck are you? And being like, he's a millionaire. He's worth this amount of money. And I'm like, stands, take a fucking day off. Find yeah. another hobby. It's a disgrace. Like, oh, I'm going to venerate my, my hero's net worth. Okay, good stuff. Um, we'll move on because, you know, uh, we have other things to talk about, unfortunately. We can talk about this all day. One story in closing. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo, 
Superstar, Breakout, Last Year, Driver's License, Vroom Vroom, great song. I prefer Deja Vu personally, good stuff. Um, She uh, rose to stardom off the back of that track, Driver's License, of course. Uh, Widely reported to be about her ex-boyfriend, Joshua Bassett, and he has revealed this week that he was hospitalised with heart failure shortly after the release of this song, uh, just days after it came out. He's now 21 years of age. He said the breakup anthem was an almost unimaginably stressful experience for him, especially as fans piled on. Here we go, stands. Uh, taking her side and sending him death threats on social media. Uh, we got a real fucking problem here, guys. Uh, he says, Every day I felt worse and worse. I was sleeping 16 to 20 hours a day. I couldn't even stand him for longer than 30 seconds. He was trying to launch his own solo career at the time uh, with a song called Lie, 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 which many people were like, well, that's clearly a hitback song, isn't it? Um, and said he felt his heart literally failing. This isn't just anxiety, it's bad. He went to hospital, he was diagnosed with septic shock of the heart. Um, I don't think he's definitively saying, you know, fuck you, Olivia Rodrigo, for writing this song. Mm. Um, she herself has been talking about the breakup as well and saying that she went through a horrible situation and this was her way of rationalising it, etc. Um, should love songs be banned, Zara? Should breakup songs no longer be a thing? Are they, in fact, damaging to people's health? Well, it's like they say in the song, love hurts, isn't it? Wow. Um, <laughs> True enough. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I found this story really shocking, um, especially for the fact that he is was is now 21. So I guess this happened to him when he was 19, 20. Um, to think of someone who is possibly a very healthy person, um, for stress and anxiety to have such a um, severe... Um, effect on someone where his heart went into a septic shock um, that's terrifying um, now obviously I don't think that love songs should be banned as we were saying stan culture um, we can see how uh, vicious people can get online and it's so easy to say really nasty things like um, death threats and all of that kind of stuff um, behind the safety net of a keyboard and a screen but you know you really have to think of the effects that the, your words can have on someone who is in you know already a very high stress environment of show business um, it's definitely not one that I would ever want to have a toe in um, just from this kind of level of pressure it can put on yourself mentally and physically um, I've still never really gotten into the whole Olivia Rodrigo um, discography my 13 year old there's niece. one album what <laughs> Just is, what's it called again Sour you want me to do my draw accent I it? don't okay um, but I remember like when Driver's License came out initially my niece who's 13 she was explaining the whole backstory to it and it was just so drama filled and like almost like a TV script in itself that I just couldn't keep up. Um, so yeah, all the best for um, Joshua Bassett. Um, I hope he's on a good uh, bout of recovery and that he's able to kind of take care of himself a bit more. Here, here. Uh, and, and finally news, uh, Tyler the Creator has a very reasonable request. He's asking his fans to stop throwing your shit on stage. I don't want it. <laughs> and he's dead right. Now, uh more power to you, Tyler. We'll stay in the world of American hip-hop, though, for our album review. That's right. It's Denzel Curry. He's back with a brand new one. It came out last Friday. It's called Melt My Eyes, See Your Future, and this song is called X-Wing. Niggas want those slander. Get money, now your ass can't stand us, man. I want a whole lot of green hair, a pair of nice jeans. I've been with a new bean and a pair of ice creams. Ever since I was a teen, I've been focused on the cream. Want the clothes and the kicks in. Yeah, I don't know if I want an X-Wing. I'm just on to the next thing. But didn't have the best things Now my diamonds on my neck bleed I'm on the car on the X-Wing I'm just on to the next thing Growing up I 
X-Wing by Denzel Curry there sounding absolutely brilliant on Adam's incredible studio speakers. What a treat. And here, with a treat of her own, with a primer in place of Craig Fitzpatrick, no pressure, Zara Hedeman is going to tell us all about who Denzel Curry is and what he wants from us. So Denzel Curry, he is born and raised in Carroll City, Florida. Um, from the early kind of offset of his career, which began about 10 years ago, he was a bit of an outlier amongst his underground circles. He was kind of rapping a little bit more about darker kind of themes um, to a darker soundscape, not unlike what we heard there with X-Wing. He came to prominence initially um, with a local rap group called Raider Clan Collective, and they would have gained popularity along kind of groups like Odd Future and ASAP Mob. Um, Curry departed that in 2013, so actually almost a decade ago, and he came out with his debut record, Nostalgic 64, while he was still in high school. So Denzel Curry as well at the moment is only 26, so the career that he has had and the acclaim that he has received to date is kind of insurmountable. Um, early on, he was included in um, XXL Magazine's freshman class um cover which is a really like notable and a very important issue in terms of like hip hop and um, shouting about rising acts um, that are coming up Earl Sweatshirt was really into him and was praising him big time producer Kenny Beats was also taking um, an interest in Curry and they worked together on his 2020 EP called Unlocked Um, then we had kind of a few years going down a few more releases he's very prolific um, still kind of on the outskirts a lot of people kind of lazily um, lugged him in with like the SoundCloud generation of rap but he wasn't really kind of fitting into that um, mould um, as I was saying he talks a lot about and we'll get into it a bit more when we talk about the album he raps a lot about you know um, bruta- police brutality in particular in America um, unfortunately his brother was killed by the police in an incident um, with uh, where his brother was tasered by a cop um, Curry was also in high school in Carroll City with um, Trayvon Martin um, who we also know was um, killed at the hand of the police in America um, and in doing so so, and in talking about this and in rapping about as well his mental health um, very candidly he usually in, across his releases would go under like a personality or a character be it Zeltron um, Raven Miyagi um, Aquarius Killer um, on this album he's trying to step away from that and he has been in interviews very much trying to assert himself um, assert his position his lyrics um, and his worth as an artist And I think that this um, kind of newfound confidence and assuredness came from actually um, a chance meeting that he had a couple of years ago when a then 15-year-old songwriter asked Curry, who is her favourite rapper, to come to one of her shows. He did... They struck up a friendship and she would go on to lend some vocals on his 2018 album Taboo, which is actually a very good list and I highly recommend it. That singer was Billie Eilish um, and then she would obviously go on to become Billie Eilish and she asked Curry to open for her um, Stadium World Tour back in 2018. So 2018 is kind of a crucial point for Denzel Curry. In that year, he wrote down a phrase in his notebook. That phrase was Melt My Eyes, See Your Future, which of course is the uh, title of his fifth album that we're talking about. Beneath it, he um, had a list of styles. So he had drum and bass, jungle, neo-soul, funk, acid jazz. These are all kind of things that he wanted to incorporate. He wanted to make an album 
that was going to announce him um, that he wanted to fill stadiums with. So a lot of ambition um, he had going into this album. He also really wanted to step away from the persona and to really just give a very raw and very genuine um, introduction to himself because I do feel that despite the fact that he has been a very prominent, a very prolific and a very um, revered figure within hip-hop, he is, I think, for the first time coming to a lot of people's ears because this really does feel like a bit of an arrival moment for him. And this also sees him collaborating with a lot of really um, big names. We have everyone on this album from Slothai, we have Thundercat, we've got Robert Glasper, T-Pain, um, many more as well. So David, how did you find this iteration of Denzel Curry and do you think that this record is going to usher in a bright future for this 26 year old? I think it should I think he's great I'm a, I'm a big fan I I think that the album captures a lot of what you said uh, particularly the kind of like the reference points and the kind of melding of styles I mean like I think Zatoichi with Slow Thigh on here uh, there's a part where like it basically turns into a prodigy song at one stage and like it totally works and um, at first, in my listens over the course of the week, I did wonder if it all worked because it felt like, at times, like he was just trying on so many different styles. I do think the through line is here and I do think he pulls it off. I don't think it's a perfect record and we'll get to that, but ultimately I think it is, it might be his most cohesive statement. Uh, but I loved uh, 2019's Zoo. In fact, it was my album of the year that year. Mm. Um, Ricky, the lead single off that, was in my like top 10. I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked about both album and single on No Encore's end of year stuff, I believe, if I recall correctly. Um, I think my way in for him initially was actually his Rage Against the Machine cover of Bulls on Parade that he did for, I think it was Triple J. And he, it's this insanely incendiary tectonic performance that he gave and I remember I think I've said this anecdote before on the show um, when I was working for Joe at the time it was like a Saturday or something and I can't remember where I saw this but I just saw it and I wrote a story on it and my headline I, I was just like you know watch Denzel Curry's uh, Rage Against Machine cover is incendiary or something and like the Joe audience are famously not very forgiving uh, and people love to line up and, and display their ignorance by saying, I've no idea who the fuck this person is, even when it's about, you know, The weekend or something, like, you know, a global superstar. Um, and what shocked me about the comments on that were all of them were positive. Everyone was like, I don't know who this guy is, but now I want to because this is incredible. People being like, you have to have passion and you have to have a certain level of presence and delivery to ever even come close to stepping into the shoes of Zach Delarocca on a cover. And this guy, this guy has it. Mm. And at the time, Rage were kind of dormant again. And I remember being like, fuck it. Like, if Zach Delarocca doesn't want to be there anymore, just get Denzel Curry in. He could do it. I like. I think much like when, when I talk about Vince Staples, I'm like he can do anything. Like, like I think that he, I think Denzel Curry can do anything, mm. and I think his work so far has been, as you say, he's been furiously prolific, um, and I don't think it's been a problem. I don't think there's been an identity crisis, but I do think I do agree with you. I do think that this is much more of a not let's get serious, but kind of like let's really go for it. Mm. And I think he's has he played Ireland yet? He's got an upcoming show possibly in the Olympia. Seems like a perfect venue for him. Yeah, but he could go bigger. He could go supersized if he wanted to. Um, he kept my attention. I'm really rooting for the guy. Mm. I like him a lot. And I think that he is compelling on the microphone. I don't fully know enough in terms of like, the narratives don't necessarily sing to me that way. It's more about his presence mm. and his kind of ability to, 
uh, go down different pathways and different corridors. I think there's lots of there's a, there's a beautiful claustrophobia to this record at times that I didn't find overbearing. Um, I think that he is capable of the light and the dark. Um, even like you know, like like I mentioned, like a track like Ricky is just such a brilliantly short pop song. Like it's so uh, reaching and it brings you in. But then the stuff on this album, I think, is much more about creating a world and you know kind of not not so much inviting you in but throwing it at you and being like well you know sink or swim essentially and i thought it mostly really kind of sung in that regard what did you think yeah i so on my first lesson to this um and he was someone that i was becoming increasingly more interested in he featured on Loud and Quiet's cover for their last issue and it's a really great, really interesting, a very candid um, interview and in that regard I really warmed to him very immediately and I was hoping that that was going to translate to the record um, and obviously like knowing his back catalogue and knowing just how really intense it could get I was then very kind of um, grateful for like the as much as, and it is a claustrophobic album at times, I found that this was quite a spacious kind of, um, offering as well. And I think that a huge aspect to that is having, say, people like Robert Glasper in particular. A great feature on this. The opening track, yeah, excellent. Yeah. And like, um, obviously as well, Robert Glasper kind of... Um, fortuitously he had his uh, Black Radio Volume 3 um, that came out in February um, and I was listening to that like a good bit when it came out and having that kind of context of Robert Glasper um, and his sensibilities especially on that Black Radio trilogy that he has I really felt that that um, flooded in very seamlessly to this record and I thought it was a really powerful way to open this um, album Um, at times you you know like the very spacious kind of 90s feel to that song in particular reminded me like a little bit of say like late Prince era which is not really something I expected from Denzel Curry Um, and I liked then how throughout the, the album how Glasper kind of comes back and you can really tell the moments where he is there and he is with Denzel I did like this. I found this very, very easy to return to. Um, Like I had no qualms, like being like, oh, I'll stick on the album again while I'm doing something to really get immersed in it and to be really familiar with it. Today, actually, I had a really kind of nice change of scene with it because I was like cycling around town. It was a particularly sunny and lovely day out. And I felt that this album just suited the backdrop that I was like listening to it in so perfectly. One of, but the more that I did listen to it, the more I kind of felt that with the features that he has on this album, and they're really great gets, not only Robert Glasper, but he's got Thundercat. Um, he produced uh, one of the songs kind of towards the end. But like before I had gone through the personnel um, of the album, there was like that song in particular um, where I was like, oh, this sounds so like. Thundercat and there was like other moments where I was like oh this is very like Bad Bad Not Good who have done some great work with say um, Ghostface Killer they had an album Sarah Soul which does that really nice thing that we're seeing a lot more and perhaps it's stemming from Robert Glasper's collaboration with Kendrick Lamar that kind of mix of like 70s funk and soul and like really pretty celestial jazz components 
bringing that into hip hop a little bit more, which I really like because it, for me, it makes hip hop because I think it's such an invaluable and important genre because it really gives us stories of, say, from the streets and things that are going on in America and just beyond that and whatever. Um, it kind of, for me, gives an opportunity to make the lyrics become a bit more central and a bit more kind of um, focal. So I did, and even like, as you're saying, the song with Slow Tie, I just really felt that it was masked a little bit and became very much a slow thigh song if you know what I mean like I really like the songs but I think that Denzel Curry ironically he's trying to you know take away the masks of all of his like previous characters but sometimes I felt that actually he let his features dominate this the soundscapes of this I think he I think he does yeah Yeah. I mean there were times when I listened to this when I did find myself being like this isn't this isn't a direct comparison. Maybe it's not even a fair one. But at times I was like, this is kind of his Compton. Like it's kind of a little, like he is stepping back a bit. He is like elevating other people and he sounds more like a curator at times than mm-hmm. the kind of leading voice. But I mean, I kind of applaud him on that though. I kind of applaud the experimentation to do that. Like mm-hmm. it didn't strike me as, oh no, he's fucked this up. Like he's too far away from it. Mm. I felt he was, I felt his presence kind of won the day, so to speak. But I do think, yeah, like you make a fair point. There are times when it's like, you know, the narrative can be a little bit less cohesive than I'd want it to be. Mm. And, you know, I have my usual problem with this where you could lose a couple of tracks, but that's just me being me perhaps, you know. Um, But I do think on the whole, I do think it is, it feels like an evolution. It feels like a very different album to Zoo mm. and other stuff he's put out. So it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want more of the same from the, from yeah. him, you know? So Yeah, and I do think that there is, like, and he's, like, he's still extremely young. Um, like, he's only 26. And I do think, like, going, listening to all of his, like, his previous releases, you can hear, for the most part, that there is a great maturity in his lyrics now. Um they are a bit more kind of focused and, you know, I, I do think he is a very warm presence. Like, I really enjoyed spending the week with him. Um, and I do think that this is a very accessible record. Um, well, sure, give me a number. I, I was kind of going back and forth on this quite a lot today and I think I'm going to go for a 7. I'm going for a 7.5. It's not quite an eight, mm. but I wonder how it will age over the course of the year. Yeah. So it's Denzel Curry. It's Melt My Eyes, See Your Future. It's a recommend if you haven't checked him out before. For sure, yeah. Definitely check him out. I think he's absolutely worth being part of your part of your play queue or whatever the fuck people say these days. I don't know. But what do they say? Yeah, kind of foolish of me there, Zara, perhaps, you know? A fool's errand, maybe, this podcast can be. Never, though. Not when we get to the top five. And this week's top five is top five songs about fools. Because it's April Fool's Day when this comes out. It's my favourite day of the year, I have to say now. You love a good pun. Yeah, but I have to say, just to, to kind of, not to like preface anything or whatever, but I was, I was frustrated with this episode. I was, <laughs> Didn't you choose, <laughs> today, you chose today. this top five? I chose the top five as a compromise. Uh, okay. Because uh, as listeners know... Yeah. We had, uh, Dave and I, we had a discussion. There were lots of albums released last there week. There were lots of albums released I wanted to do Placebo. I wanted to do Destroyer. And I said no. Which I found very upsetting um, because it's a great album. It's the one opportunity that I'll probably ever get to talk about Destroyer on the 
on the show. I think. Uh, you've talked about Destroyer before. You're yeah, talking about Destroyer right now. Kind of a situation. I just felt it would be a foregone conclusion, Zara. Yeah. You know, I don't mean to offend. I just thought. So it was bittersweet, but sure. I was glad then that Dave allowed me to. Didn't allow you. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> that he, you gave me the go ahead for. Top five songs by Fools. Yeah, and it was a tough top five for me. It it's fuck. It's not an easy one. Like, like it's not. It's not the easiest of of subject matter because for, I thought it would have been, uh, you know, ripe. And yet, you know, it's kind of like you get into the weeds on this. And I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, how do you define a fool? You know, Shakespeare's great fool. I'll give you one example. And I wanted to stay away from. Let's just have five songs with fool in the title. So, uh, which is totally allowed. I don't know what's on your list. Of course, you don't know what's on my list. It could be anything. But one one example I would give you of kind of like running into kind of like a, a little bit of trouble on this would be like I considered um I considered House of the Rising Sun for this. But then I was like, well, that guy's not necessarily a fool. He kind of refers to himself as like a lost soul at the end, and there is an element of perhaps considering yourself to have been tricked by the world or something. But I couldn't call someone who, like, finds themselves uh, struggling with, like, alcohol addiction and gambling. No. Can't call them a fool. No, no. And I wouldn't regard anybody in that position as a fool. So I was like, no, that's that's off the list. Can't go with that. Because I think I want to, you know, as is often the case in the top five, you want some ambiguity, you want some kind of subtext. And so I, I didn't want to just be like, well, here's a fucking clown. But there's also that as well. What about you? What was your approach and how did you think you ended up um, it was really difficult, I have to say, um, because like, as you were kind of saying, there are a lot of songs out there that have, that are kind of packaged up and ready for you to go that have like full. Very literal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so I kind of wanted to go a little bit outside the box with it, taking your approach of, you know, looking at the, the position of fools in a bit more of, um abstract way I guess um, that is something when I'm listening to your top fives the Craig that I actually always kind of appreciate like I always kind of try and think of what I would pick and it's more so the ones where you come at it from an interesting angle and not just going for like the sure bet or the song that everyone's going to think uh, who, of. who would you say is better at that Craig or myself oh I simply couldn't don't answer that question <laughs> we, he's not here we don't offend him <laughs> He's on holidays. He's on his holly bops. We won't. It is a broad subject and we're going to get into it right now. Um, ordinarily, I'd be all about the guest going first, but I'm going to go first. Oh. Because I want to set the tone. Sorry, the face you gave me. <laughs> it was quite stern, wasn't it? It was. I'm going I'm first. I'm going first. Right. Uh, we'll kick this one off because uh, I, I just felt like you, you have to, you, you got to be literal sometimes. So Adam, hit that music. Here's my number five. Songs about fools. Isn't it rich? Are we a pair? here at last on the ground, you in midair, send in the clouds. There'll always be. Yeah. Send in the clowns. Number five. <laughs> That's Judy Collins singing. Uh, Stephen Sondheim, of course, wrote this. Been covered by many a person. Zara Hedeman can't believe that this is my selection. You what? think you know someone? <laughs> yeah, listen. What can I say? It's beautiful, beautiful song. It's a gorgeous Great song. selection. Now, it's been disputed if this is actually about clowns. But I think, you know, as you say, abstract. 
I just wanted you to send in the clowns as my number five. That's all I got. Sorry, who you got? <laughs> You're up. Compose yourself, please. I feel really foolish now. Hey. Um, okay, so, oh God, I just remembered that I have to do my intros of the top five. Just don't think about it. Oh, here we go. She's um, really good at it, folks. <laughs> um, okay. So, how do you follow Send in the Clowns? Um, well, Shakespeare... In um, his in his great literature, he often used the role of the fool, which I always find really fascinating as someone who is not only a court is not a court jester, but is someone who will be very close to an influential figure, be it say the king of King Lear, and he will serve as you know the real reason. The fool will be the person of kind of, you know, clear mind. And especially to someone in that position of power, like a king, I think it's very important to have someone there who will be able to address the follies of the high society. So, Adam, can you please play my number five? Aggie, your beating heart was a carriage made of gold. How the arithmetic of this guitar melts your heart is beyond me. Beyond me, I mean beyond me. Love you, I barely know you. It goes to show who really knows what love is. The branches, the breeze, the roiling seas, none of it seems worth mentioning. Though I'm in the process of figuring it out, even if it's elementary. Yeah, so that was um, Dan Behar uh, of Destroyer uh, with a song called June from their latest album, Labyrinthitis. Pulled a little uh, switcheroo here, did you? I did. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I had to I had to try and shoehorn in Labyrinthitis on the episode in some, some shape or form. Um, that song on the new album, I just think, is absolutely stupendous, completely spellbinding, especially for that spoken word um, bit at the end, which I was unfortunately limited to 30 seconds of, which goes on for, I'd say, about two minutes. Um, this album, actually, David, you'll be interested to know you did um, important, influential pop changing, changing pop. Game changing pop Very difficult songs. sentence to say. Listen. Sure, look, that's why you do it every week. Oh, look, um, yeah, it's my burden. So he, uh, Dan Behar said that when he was working with his um, steadfast collaborator, John Collins, for this album, he wanted to create a high energy share record. Oh, wow. Yeah, that idea got scrapped. Um, uh, but what we do have is still a very upbeat, very disco driven in most parts part, uh, album which is really infectious. Obviously, he does new things with it. June, in particular, he goes quite rogue with. And what I was going with for this is it's a bit of a takedown of the high society, which we hear in that rap. Um, and yeah, I just think you can't not have a, a top five about songs about fools without including Dan Behar. So I won't... I won't. You won't act lyrical any I further. We're lyrical. Incredible. She did it, guys. Um, yeah, no, to be fair, I... I did think about that and I think you make a good point with regards to the whole Shakespeare thing and how like the fool can often or you know like in a play not just Shakespeare but like you know the, the fool can often be the person actually who is the wisest person there and they're not listened to until it's too late and there's a tragedy and there's a comedy and Dan Behar does tragic comedy incredibly well he does very good choice thank you I wonder if he'll pop up again four times in a row but I'm sure you wouldn't do that Sarah David listen me though miss you are you doing another Judy Collins song? <laughs> Imagine. No, no, no. Uh, we're going back to some of uh, Teenage Dave's favourite tunes right now for number four. Let's go. So far away 
Alkaline Trio and the song is Stupid Kid it's from the record From Here to Infirmary and I believe it was the first Alkaline Trio song I ever heard very much back in the Kerrang days Matt Skiba is the vocalist there and I loved this band I felt hard for them at that time and uh, I've gotten back into them in kind of recent years I think they're kind of underrated if anything Matt Skiba these days uh, also applies to his trade as uh, the Tom DeLong replacement in Blink-182 I don't think he's really been able to make that role his own yet in terms of a songwriting perspective, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I like the guy, and I like this band. Uh, Stupid Kid is quite literal. I'm being literal on this one, Zara. but the folly of youth, you know? We've all been there. We've all been there. Been there. Uh, and I particularly enjoyed, you heard the chorus there, I particularly enjoyed um, going on to Genius, the great oh, website. I love that website it's, so much. It might be the best website ever. It is. For anyone who doesn't know, how would you describe the Genius website? Uh, a website that has all lyrics of songs so you could go and look up a uh, Britney Spears song and I think it's like kind of like Wikipedia in that it's free reign of like anyone can like add their own annotations of what the lyrics mean and sometimes they get the actual artist to do so exactly, yeah. there was a hilarious thing this week I don't know if you saw because I think it's the anniversary of the track coming out or something but like or an anniversary of it um, there's a story about how like Seal and Kiss from a Rose. Uh, he, baby. baby, he was asked. He he like willingly like signed up to Genius to do an annotation for it. And he once he put in the thing, his only thing that he wrote on the annotation was, uh, "I'm never explaining what this song means," <laughs> oh my which is great. That's uh, there is an anonymous contributor though on the Genius annotation page for "Stupid Kid" by Alkaline Trio here. And uh, the thing I love so much about this is people really, really, really try and find the just the, the the romantic lyricism involved here they will write wholesale essays of their own or just beautiful tender post-it notes of heartbreak themselves so this is someone's interpretation in which they say he's hurt and upset by the end of the relationship and is now trying to claim that he never loved her like he said the irony of course being that while he looks back on this time as him being a stupid kid trying to take something back that was said is also quite childish and something a kid might say was he a stupid kid back then? Or is he a stupid kid still? Oh. So there you go. For a little bit, I was kind of thinking that that um, annotation sounded a little bit like maybe Drake wrote it. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I really enjoy Alkaline Trio's approach to uh, melodic emo pop punk. And I think that in some of their songs, surface level really, really suits them. Stupid Kid being one of them. It was a really beautiful door into this band for me. And yeah, it's just about that. It's about the folly of youth and like, it's something that I think kind of follows on and as you get older, um, you know, if I could bring it back to an album that we don't talk about enough on this show, Frank Ocean's Blonde, and how essentially uh, on Frank Ocean's Blonde, you'll find some tracks on there that, you know, that, 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 that talk about the idea of youth and the fact that you can just never go back, you know, and mm. what could be more foolish than someone who wants to do that? And he's always very frank about it. That's true, Zara. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Uh, Adam Shanahan groaning in the background there but yeah no I, I think the fool aspect you know gets into the emotional angle of it and this song does it quite well what's your number four? So speaking of the emotional aspect of of the life or the portrayal of a fool I with my number four pick wanted to include you just had the folly of youth 
I am looking at for my number four someone on their deathbed who is full of regret and in such feels a fool the television music supervisor says I can't believe what I've done I can't believe that I said what I said. Are you really doing this? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Um, Who's this? So that was Destroyer. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. What's the song, Zara? So that song is uh, the Television Music Supervisor. Um, and when we settled on top five songs about films, genuinely this... Uh, was the first song that came to my mind. Um, so this song is from Destroy's previous record, Have We Met, from 2020. Um, and I, from the first time listening to that song, found it really powerful just because it's very stripped back. It's very ambient. Um, it has all of those kind of really spectral, haunting um, textures throughout it. Um, it's very much very unlike what we've heard from Behar across his discography. But I love the lyrics, as you're saying. He's great at the tragic comedy. Um, this song is about a television music supervisor on his deathbed who is full of regret and he can't believe what he's done. So this is coming at the angle of someone, yeah, just live, looking back on their life in the final moments and in regret, um, talking about the album as well. Um, Behar, when he recorded this, because it was during the pandemic, um, he was working obviously from his house a lot and he was like singing into a microphone which was attached to his laptop with GarageBand and there was just this really nice image that he had kind of said that he would record all of these songs, the vocals at night in his kitchen. So just to have that image of him alone with this like light kind of glaring back at his face whilst giving this performance just felt very profound as well to me. Um, and yeah, that's my number four. Number three for me, moving swiftly on, uh, is another kind of propulsive track. Here it is. was Howling Pella Omfquist of The Hives, Swedish band, pop punkers extraordinaire. They're Swedish? Yeah. I always thought they were Australian. No, that's The Vines. I always get them confused. The Hives are a sharp-suited uh, gang of gang of terror, terror punk men from Sweden. Uh, that song is called A.K.A. I-D-I-O-T. AKA Idiot. So there you go. Uh, they actually have another song. They have a song called Walk Idiot Walk, which came out in like the mid 2000s. And it's actually one of their bigger hits. Not as good as this one, I would say. Uh, and what was funny about that one was I remember very specifically uh, in the world of professional wrestling, which we also don't mention enough on the show, um, WWE were doing this thing called the Diva Search, where they were look, looking for like new attractive women, you know, to models basically to join the wrestling organization and they had like a like this weekly thing where they would like put them out on tv and do challenges and stuff and it was horrendous television um but 
uh, the overall theme song for the Diva Search that they would have to walk out to and like smile and kind of, you know, parade themselves was Walk, idiot, walk by the Hives. No. And I was like, that is a cruel gag. Yeah, this is a true thing that happened. So, oh wrestling, word. everybody. Not very sophisticated, but the Hives are quite sophisticated, I find. Um, so they had their big breakthrough hit on a mainstream level, of course, being uh, Hate to Say I Told You So, back around 2001, I want to say, when, yeah. you know, when the Strokes thing was all kicking off. And I remember purchasing a compact disc in my local record store, and it was like The Hives, your new favorite band. And I didn't know at the time that it was like a compilation of two albums that they'd actually previously put out before. And it was the kind of like their Europe release, essentially. It was like, you know, let's just put out our, our, like our mini greatest hits for now. And I remember taking it home and listening to it and being disgusted, Sarah, disgusted that it was like 28 minutes long in total. I, I felt ripped off. I felt like I had been shortchanged. I was furious. Now, if if only the Dave Hanready of then could hear the Dave Hanready of yeah. now. What a genius thing it was. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to fully endorse the hives and say all is forgiven. 28-minute record. And the fucking songs in that thing, including this one, are fantastic. The hives, I think they're very, very good at being very, very biting in a very kind of pop-centric way. Mm. And, you know, the whole crux of this song is about how... The lead singer is essentially this character who's getting like picked on by society and looked down upon and people regard him as a fool, but maybe the real fools are the people doing so. So it's about the duality of that and the kind of nature thereof and, you know, one man's fool is another man's genius and so on and so forth. And being the singer in a rock band or a punk band can in fact mean that you get the last laugh. I think the hives in their sharp suits with their extremely enjoyable music, uh, they're still going. I was just about to ask you, are they still They are still going. I haven't really tuned into them for quite some time. They actually opened for The Offspring, I think, and Three Arena a while ago. Uh, A gig that in retrospect, I'm like, oh, that probably was a bit of fun and I didn't go. Um, Yeah, I like the hives. A lot of time for them. I think they're really good. Dare I ask what your number three is, Zara? So my number three uh, is a song about fools in love and also the perspective of someone being a fool because they are compromising their integrity to fit into an arty scene. When did you get that wrong? When did you get that pension for destruction in the way you talk? When did you get that right? When did you get that rocket? When did you get that painter in your pocket? This is the moment that uh, I'm banned from No Encore. You fucking know it. (laughs) So that was uh, Destroyer. Was it? Uh, And that was the song Painter in Your Pocket from their album Rubies back in 2006. Um, Again, this was a kind of entry level song for me with Destroyer. Um, I loved the kind of Bob Dylan-esque takedown within the lyrics. Um, He talks about, you know, the subject in this song is a woman that he is in love with who is trying to fit in with, as he says, the prophetist East Van punk uh, po- uh, painting scene. Um, I love the melody to this. And when it was uh, came out initially, I was going through old um, reviews on Pitchfork for this uh, album. And Matt LeMay, who reviewed it at the time, opened his review by saying that this album was actually leaked online. Um, and he was saying that then, like, after it was leaked, there was loads of rumours online about um, people thinking that Pitchfork were, were going to give this album a 10 out of 10. 
Um, that's kind of how strongly people felt about it. It's a real kind of um, bastion of Destroyer's discography. Um, didn't get 10 out of 10. It got uh, 8.5, which is still a very respectable um, score, especially of Pitchfork's standards. So yeah, so that's my number three, David. Number two is, um, I, I, I've done a weird thing this week where I've picked five different artists. Uh, here's my number two. Stone Roses. The song is Fool's Gold. I was literal on that one. Uh, should we just get to your second Destroyer song, or what, like now, or should we just... No, no, I'd like to hear what you Are you sure? Yeah, Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I chose this one because uh, I think Stone Roses are a band that I'm not a big fan of, but they got a few good songs. Mm. I think this is one of them. I agree, yeah. I'm okay. not a huge <laughs> fan of the Stone Roses but I do love this, so it's nice to hear it on. Yeah, and it's funny because I was thinking it would be a sweet thing to include because like, you know, like How We Met... Zara, how, oh my God, yeah. how we got to know each other was that we both wrote for a publication that is now defunct. Yeah. And uh, there was an email thread about the Stone Roses' big comeback single. All for one. Which is a terrible song. <laughs> that was 2016. And I remember we kind of hijacked that email thread and we didn't really know each other at the time. Uh, we hadn't met before or anything. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of like kept chatting that way. And I was having a vicious hangover that day and I enjoyed the ribaldry. You know, we were kind of fools unto ourselves at that moment. And then, of course, we met up, and the rest is history. You're never going to be on the podcast again <laughs> after this episode. Can we have Zara's second best story song, please? And just let's finish the episode. Thank you, Adam. Yes, I'm familiar with your scene. Some would say shockingly uptight. Honey, one gun salute to the fallen birds of the sky. I heard the record, it's all right. Hey, infinite sense of value. Hey. Infinite sense of value, hey, Mr. Prince of the Purdue at night. I heard your record, it's alright. So, one thing I will say about this April Fool's prank um, that doesn't seem to be uh, so well received is uh, that I haven't had to do too many intros for my top five picks, which, Dave, thank you. Um, so, that obviously destroys Savage Night at the Opera. Um, that song is about fools in the music industry, as you heard there in the clip. I heard your record, it's all right. Um, our boy, Craig's boy, Alex Petridis, gave it a five star review in The Guardian when this came out. Um, talking about the kind of majesty of this album. Kaput was a real entry point, I feel, for a lot of people with Destroyer. Um, it's definitely the one that I recommend to people to listen to if they want to delve in because um, it can be an intimidating discography to get into. Um, I just love everything about this. It's so easy to listen to. It's so breezy. Um, it has all of the real kind of 80s Manchester scene, New Order like kind of influence that has really peppered through a lot of Dan Behar's later um, releases so yeah I couldn't not have it um, because I heard your record It's Alright is probably one of my favourite lyrics of all time David? Yeah Craig probably would have appreciated the prank a bit better you know <laughs> know your audience kids <laughs> so my number one um, Songs by Fools like I say I think ultimately there's different ways of looking at it and essentially when this top five made itself known 
one song came to mind for me immediately and I thought it was like, yeah, that's it. I mean, if I have to work in reverse and, you know, kind of struggle with a top five this week, that's fine because I think the payoff would be worth it. And I did find this a tough top five to kind of get into in terms of just like, like Zara was saying earlier on, there are so many literal songs that are just, you know, easy pickings, I suppose. Um, but this one I think is a, I think this is one of the best songs of recent years. Um, I think not enough people know it. I think not enough people kind of appreciate it. And I think those that do understand that it's just such a great short story and it's full of love and full of empathy. And it kind of brings about the idea of the fool again as that kind of main character who actually has a lot more to them than being the punchline. So with that in mind, um, and this one made me emotional putting it together. So uh, here, here's my number one. So that's uh, Hamilton Lighthouser and Rostam. It's from their album Together that they put out. I had a dream that you were mine. 2016, I think. I was literally thinking it was 2016. I think it was 2016. And regular listeners to the show will know, should know Hamilton Lighthouser, should be able to recognise his voice. The singer of The Walkman has since embarked on a solo career and did a collaborative record with Rostam as his second um, full-length release, essentially. And this song is called The Bride's Dad. It is one of the centerpiece tracks on that album. It's a very short song. It's about two and a half minutes or so. And I think it's just incredible. Um, I've talked about the song before with my, with my good friend Josh, I think, and a few others. And like, it's basically about this uh, father at a wedding. He's, it's clear that he's not really, he's, he's been invited because he has to be. He's clearly not, people in attendance aren't really fans of him. And it's about him uh, getting drunk and causing a scene or and being thrown out, essentially. And it's kind of there in the lyrics where like, um, the visual image of him being kind of turfed out. Hamilton Lighthouser is so good at visual storytelling, I think, when he when, when he gets into that mode. And the image, like, 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 you know, it's hard not to think of a Homer Simpson here. Yeah. Uh, and Homer Simpson is a character who I have, who I think actually has so many layers to him. And if, if Homer is sad, I'm sad. Because, you know, to, to paraphrase Liam Payne and his, if Will Smith is sad, if Will Smith, if, if Will Smith cries, I cry. If he laughs, I laugh. If Homer Simpson is any kind of, isn't in any kind of trouble, I tend to just feel devastated. And that's kind of, I find it hard not to picture him in this scenario being like thrown out by an angry mob. But like, um, there's that key line where, you know, I swear I saw you smile from the corner of my eye. And, I think that there's worlds in that moment where it's like, this guy is an oaf, you know, he's a fucking problem. He's too, you know, it didn't go well. He he ruined the wedding. But the idea that his daughter could like find some something beautiful in that and find something, you know, between them. And when I was cutting this clip the other day, I couldn't help but think of my own father. And obviously I'm, you know, currently, people listen to Joe now that I'm currently in the grieving process there. And, you know, I don't think my dad's been thrown out of a fucking wedding before. Maybe he has. I don't know. But I thought of him, and I cut this clip before work yesterday, and the tears just fucking billowed out of my face. And I was okay with it because, you know, he was a character. This is a better character. And imperfect situations, you know, like can actually bring a lot more truth than 
something kind of pristine and, and, and shrink-wrapped. And I think that that's what Hamilton Lahezer is getting at with his songwriting so often. I think he, his most recent album as well, The Loves of Your Life, which was compiled about uh, stories other people had told him about people from their lives and people he'd kind of come across. I think he's a terrific storyteller. And this is top of the line for me because it's, it's where the fool gets to be the heart. And that's kind of what I took from it. So that's my number one. Mm, I think, yeah, absolutely great uh, pick for number one. And yeah, he's one of the best storytellers in his songs. That album in particular, just, I remember when that came out and just being infatuated with it. And I think, you know, hearing like how gravelly his voice is, that kind of lends to like such wisdom and age and experience which just makes the stories feel even more real and like lived in and that he's kind of witnessed them firsthand be it at, in the corner of a kind of dingy bar or like um, in whatever the kind of setting is in the song and I do feel that like he is kind of one of the more underrated of his generation which is so frustrating because He's incredible and he has that voice and he's such a great musician as well. Um, and we went to see him at this tour. Mm-hmm. Um, the Workman's. In the Workman's. And it was just, it was really electrifying. Like, And one of the best gigs that I think I've been to and one that I always kind of I think of whenever I listen to that Um album in particular so yeah it was the perfect place for him as well and it was like yeah. I interviewed him before and he was absolutely lovely uh, you had a moment with him after <laughs> the show which I will always mention <laughs> you, went, you went up to him in the midst of a, 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 a you 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 you'd suffered some heartbreak oh yeah sure look and you we all? how was he he was so nice. He was so <laughs> lovely. And like, I'm really short and he is super He's tall. very tall. And he like crunched his back to like give me a, a hug. And be, he literally was just like to me, everything is going to be okay. And I was like, I believe you, Hamilton. <laughs> you would believe him. And I hope that everything is going to be okay when we leave this studio. Might not be. Adam, <sighs> put us all out of our misery, please. Jesus Christ. The ultimate fool. <laughs> What a fool believes Wait, not by destroyer. I can't by believe the Doobie Brothers. Baby. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> you just about saved it here, Zara. And you... the dimple is out in full force. Now. Fuck off. He's smiling. Fuck He's off. Smiling. Um, yeah, I couldn't not. As much as I was committed to the prank, uh, I knew I was anxious all day. Like I was very anxious doing this prank, uh, but I did get the go ahead from Craig. Of course you got the go-ahead so from I Craig. So I tested the waters and I said, Craig, do you think that if I did this, Dave would kill me and or never have me back on the podcast? And he said, I think you'd be fine. The man's on holidays this week, Sarah. He wasn't paying attention. <laughs> sure, when did he ever? Sure luck. He often pays attention. Like to what I responded to the same text. Message. Yeah, what did Sonic oh, Architect yeah, Adam Sonic say? Sonic Architect said that he was Switzerland. Yeah. That he's neutral in this. But what did I respond when you asked if Dave would kill you? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, neutrality, I'm all for neutrality, especially, you know, in a time of major conflict across the world. But sometimes, Adam, sometimes you just got to step in, you know? <laughs> but the point is, you, you just about quelled my rising anger. You can tell the listener, I'm not pleased. Yeah, he's not happy. I'm not happy. He's not happy. The point, uh, the point after work uh, here is after not going to be... It feels like work. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it feels work. like work now. Um, so it does. But yeah, no, I couldn't not have What If Will Believes because I know that the song has a kind of special affinity with the show. I was going... Does it? Yeah. I always kind of feel like there's a nice... Like, are Craig and I the Doobie Brothers of the modern are. day? You're the Doobie Brothers of Dublin and Leakstaff, respectively. Um... But yeah, no, I couldn't not have this because it's such an amazing song. And actually, before I left the house, I was listening to different versions of this. The Aretha Franklin one in particular is spellbinding. So yeah, DB Brothers, what a fool believes for the ultimate fools. It's just a pity that people people can't hear your sing-along that you did to this (laughs) because you had some notes there. Yeah, I might do one. I'll do a special recording for Patreon maybe. I think we're okay. Um, but if you want to support us on Patreon, though, you can do that. It's patreon.com slash noencore. There's going to be a Recommends Corner episode coming soon. I won't have Destroyer in there, that's for sure. Um, and Zara Hedeman, uh, you had a good run. I did. Yeah. I guess we'll have you back. I don't know when. Probably October. Uh, I, we'll just see that what happens. That might even be too soon. Just see how the year opens up. Sure, look. You know? for the end of the year. Maybe, possibly. Um, one man who, you know, I... I applaud his diplomacy, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you just wonder. But he makes the show sound like it's going to win every battle. It's Sonic Architect Adam, who's in the background here, chuckling away. He deserves his flowers. Craig Fitzpatrick will be back next week, and he'll be getting a fucking clip round the ear from me. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been, thank you, Zara. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Goodbye. Happy April Fool's Day. And boy... Boy, do I feel like a fool. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.